Thank you uh, all for being here today. Uh, I don't know if Rick realizes it, but uh, I've been with Rick 13 in the last 14 days. Uh, Rick, the, the good thing is that I'm going to Chicago today, so in Illinois, so I won't be with you the next five days. But uh, we've spent a long time uh, on our trip, and then this week in D.C. But uh, happy to be here today to talk a little bit about our trip to China, uh, the U.S.-China Working Group, uh, and then open it up for some questions from, from all of you. Um, a little bit about uh, the district that I represent, Central, West Central Illinois, heavy agriculture district, heavy manufacturing district. Uh, Caterpillar uh, Corporation has their largest footprint in my district. They have 29 manufacturing plants in China. They have four R&D facilities in China. So very important market for, for those products. Uh, I have a heavy ag district, the eighth largest ag district in the country. 25% of the corn and soybeans grown in my district go to China. Uh, we're the largest exporter of soybeans uh, of any state in the country. So direct uh, economic relationship with China on trade. So it's important parochially uh, to my district. Also Boeing, which is important to Rick, is based in Illinois too. Um, I got involved with the U.S.-China Working Group soon after I got elected. Uh, this Rick can talk a little bit more about this. This was started about 13 or 14 years ago by Congressman Mark Kirk and Rick Larson at the time uh, to really build on the bilateral relationship. And so I was honored when I got into Congress to take over for Charles Bustani and to work with Rick and learned an awful lot in this space and continue to learn uh, when it comes to, to China. Um, this was my second trip that we've done. Uh, and uh, this trip, we were in Hong Kong for the first day and a half, and then Hangzhou, and then Beijing, uh, and really had some high-level uh, substantive meetings while we were there. I think we were the first delegation from Congress to be there in about the last eight months. And obviously, the uh, pinnacle point of the trip was trade. Uh, that was our main focus. Uh, Rick and I brought uh, four other members of Congress, uh, all from different states, different backgrounds. So it was a diverse group of Republicans and Democrats that went there. A um, couple things. We met with uh, Ambassador Lighthizer before we left uh, to kind of get the take from the administration on where they're at with the current trade negotiations. Just yesterday, we debriefed uh, Ambassador Lighthizer and his staff as they were on their way to China. Uh, with Secretary Mnuchin, and um, so it was a uh, it was a it was really really good trip. Uh, we met with the top leadership, uh, the second in command, uh, the third in command, uh, representatives from commerce and agriculture, and and talked a lot about trade and where we're at. And uh, for for me, serving on Ways and Means, which of course has jurisdiction over trade, that was the main focus of of, of our trip. And. Uh, talked a lot about um, you know the enforcement mechanism that we we haven't been able to have in our relationships with China in terms of trade, uh, how we get China to abide by the same rules that every other industrialized country in the world abide by. Abide by. Um, talked a lot about um, what that enforcement mechanism is moving forward. You know I'm not a fan of tariffs. Tariffs are taxes in my view, um, and and you look at the effect that it's had on agriculture products, on manufacturing, and. So we talked a lot about um, the retaliation that China has engaged in on tariffs. But moving forward, um, what type of enforcement mechanism do we put in place with the Chinese uh, to make sure that they abide by uh, the, the, the rules, whatever we sign with this agreement? And that's really the crux of, of what we talked about with the Chinese when we were over there. So um, it was a, a really, really good trip. And I will also say we spent an awful lot of time with Ambassador Branstad, uh, who is our uh, ambassador to China. Uh, he was in all of our meetings there, understands trade very well, uh, and uh, had a good perspective and was very, very helpful to us. Uh, we did a number of other things where we were there. Um, I know Bill is here from Alibaba. In Hangzhou, we went and visited Alibaba, which was a, a tremendous experience for many of us to see uh, their, uh, 
their footprint in China and what they're doing. Uh, really, I mean, when you walk onto that campus, you would think you're in Silicon Valley with the amazing uh, campus that they put together there. Uh, and uh, of course, that's the home of Jack Ma, who started Alibaba and, and then did some other cultural things there, went to a Ford plant, talk a little bit about the, how the tariffs have affected them in manufacturing. And then we got on the high-speed train and went about 215 miles an hour to, to Beijing, which was interesting for, um, for us, too, and then spent the rest of the time in Beijing. Also met there one night with a lot of Western journalists, met with uh, journalists from the New York Times and Reuters and AP uh, to get their perspective on what's going on in China related to censorship, related to the future of China, related to what's the real story with the economics uh, of China. You know, there's a lot of... Um, you know, discrepancy on whether the Chinese economy is slowing down. Uh, how much is that slowing down? We had a lot, we had a, a lot of discussion about that. So covered a, a multifaceted uh, number of issues while we were in China, but uh, a great trip. So um, Rick, you want to add? And then we'll look forward to your questions. Sure. Uh, thanks, Darren. Uh, so I started the U.S. China Working Group in 2005 with uh, Mark Kirk, as Darren noted. And I think going back to that uh, point, uh, and looking back on that, Mark and I created this group to try to find a place in Congress where we could talk rationally about the U.S.-China relationship, because uh, we thought by the time it made it to the House floor, the time for rational talk had ended um, well before then. And uh, as well, uh, I think since that time, if you look at the relationship, and I, I use this analogy uh, and used it in the trip, is that uh, the relationship between the U.S. and China is like the U.S. stock market. It goes up and down, but it always goes up. Uh, but now we're definitely in a down cycle. And uh, the other the other analogy is that uh, I, I use uh, use and used uh, last week was that it's like the, a roller coaster, and uh, and we're definitely in a down trough uh, now in our relationship with the, with the Chinese in a lot of ways. And uh, a perspective on that is to think of the. Uh, the fact that in Congress there are national security hawks on China, there are trade hawks on China, and there are human rights hawks on China. And ne'er the three would ever have met. Uh, so long as they didn't talk to each other, they didn't realize they all hated China. And uh, in the last couple of years, those three hawk groups have found each other and has created a, a different consensus in Congress. Excuse me. A different consensus in Congress on... Uh, I think uh, on where that uh, center of gravity sits with regards to the relationship, and and that was one of the messages that we gave uh, to the Chinese leadership uh, with regards to trade, and that is that there is a bipartisan consensus on the need for uh, China to make some changes uh, in its uh, economic policies. Now, I think it's fair to say that some of us differ with the administration on their approach, but um, I left that at home. I didn't take that with me. I don't think it's appropriate to have that debate out in front of. Uh, in, in front of the um, Chinese uh, in China. Um, so we tried to stay focused on that bipartisan message of concern. Uh, that's why Democrats and Republicans were there together. The second message uh, had to do with uh, what we'd like to see, and that was in terms of structural reforms. And the third message was about enforcement, the need for an enforcement mechanism. And they would expect to hear that from Ambassador Lighthizer and from a congressional, a bipartisan congressional perspective generally agree with that uh, perspective. So we wanted to be there to support the administration's message um, while we we're over there. Uh, I think uh, uh, just a few things about the trip. If you ever, if you do travel to China and you just see Beijing, then you have a better understanding of Beijing, um, but not a very good understanding of China. 
And one of the things that we try to emphasize on these trips, with the, and the, I should, we should point out, the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations is a group out of New York that helps put these trips on for us, um, is that we try to get out of, uh, uh, of Beijing. I call it China's greatest hits, right? If you turn on classic rock radio, right, what's on, right? Stairway to Heaven, of course, every time. <laughs> followed by Freebird, followed by, name your favorite classic rock song. And when members of Congress go to China, they tend to always want, well, let's go to Hong Kong and Shanghai and Beijing. It's like, well, you can, you won't see China, but you'll see Hong Kong, Shanghai, and Beijing. And so uh, it's important for us then to go to a different city, still a big city, uh, Hangzhou, but it was a, a G20 uh, was held there a couple years ago. The 2022 Asian Games will be held there uh, in a couple of years as well. And then from there, we also, only an hour outside, visited a small village where there's a design library started by a young Serbian woman and her um, Chinese, uh, were, they ever, were they married? Were they just, I'm not sure either. I'm not sure either. But it's a, it's a design library that is uh, focused on collecting uh, little designs, whether that's uh, cloth, whether that's um, uh, architectural, whether that's uh, just wood designs, um, other products, to, kind of, to preserve them, to create a design library of Chinese uh, uh, cultural designs. And as a result, the small village has become a little bit of a magnet um, for international designers. Uh, to come and visit, to learn. And the point, the point I want to make on the, is that um, by traveling with the National Committee uh, on U.S.-China Relations, we get outside of the big cities, get a little better understanding, a little bit at a time, of, uh, of what's going on in China. Because what's going on in China, maybe for you, happens in Beijing or in Shanghai. Uh, I think for us, from a policymaker's perspective, that's important, but it's also important that we uh, have a better understanding of what's going on outside of those big cities. Um, and so uh, that was a, a reason for getting out there. Um, we also went to uh, the Wangxiang Group, which has uh, Wangxiang America is in Illinois, a uh, major auto parts uh, manufacturer uh, as, as well. I talked to them. And I think it was interesting talking to uh, the chairman of that, of that uh, Chairman Liu, who said, uh, um, that uh, the problems in trade are, aren't between Beijing and Washington. They're between Democrats, Republicans, and communists, uh, which I thought was a much better description of, um, of, the, um, of, the, of the problem. And that is, uh, it's, it's, it, we, we tend to think of the, the leadership or something, but it's, it's really, there's a, a di we look at trade differently. Um, the Communist Party has a very, as leaders in China, has a very different view of what it is supposed to achieve there through trade than we, as Democrats and Republicans, have about what we're supposed to achieve through trade. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why there's some, some challenges with, uh, with the trade relationship. Uh, I, could get a, I can go on. I just would note from my own district, uh, and I hope someone asked, me, asked us about the foreign investment law. Um, uh, in, my, in my state, you know, 40 percent of, the, of the, the jobs are directly dependent on trade. 60 percent of the jobs are directly dependent on trade in my county. So if, if there's an all-out trade war, two separate studies, Brookings and Peterson, say that my county gets hit the hardest if there's an all-out trade war. Um, so it is not in my interest of the jobs that are in my district for this thing to get really out of hand. 
And uh, so that's one, the main reason why we may trade the focus here on this trip. And hopefully it helps push, push, uh, push the sides together a little bit closer and we'll find out in the next couple of days. Thanks. All right, great. Pete, you did such a great job with your intro. You get the first question. Okay. Um, I'm sure nobody else is going to ask this question, but um, especially with your conversations with Ambassador Lighthizer and his staff and Secretary Manisha now that they're over there, do you think the focus is more on addressing the tariff issue that we have right now or, or much more about the progress for a bilateral trade agreement? Or is it, it just, does it have to be both? <coughs> I mean, my sense is um, we don't want a purchase agreement, right? We can get a purchase agreement that could have been signed six months ago, right? We want substantive structural change when it comes to how the Chinese deal with us. And, and that's really the crux of what they're getting at. And, and so, um, you know, purchase agreement will be a part of that. There's not, they're going to buy more soybeans and corn and ethanol and DDGs and airplanes and all that. But, you know, particularly on the technology side, you know, you look at the forced technology transfers, you look at the data localization issue, you look at um, theft of IP, cybersecurity. I mean, those are really the issues on how you put an enforcement mechanism in place that works, right? You know, when you look at any tech company that comes to the United States, I use this analogy all the time. If you're a tech company from another country, you come to the United States, you're treated like anybody, right? Nobody wants to know how you built your cloud services. Nobody wants to, you know, delay your data from going back instantaneously. But in China, it's a different set of rules, really. Uh, and we hear that all the time from from lots of tech companies. And, and so how do we get them to abide by those rules? And that's really what I think Lighthizer and Mnuchin are getting at. What do we put in place that causes them to comply? And you know, I think they're experimenting with some different things. The snapback provision that I've talked about. Nobody likes tariffs, but I think they're figuring out how do you use tariffs in a narrowly tailored way to be the club if they violate it that you know, um, we can come back and, and, and you know, get them to comply. So, I think that's the crux of it, uh, and how do you put that in place, and how do you get the Chinese to agree to that? There's, there's no guarantee they're going to do that. We talked a lot about that. We definitely set the, the stage for, for what I think we want over there, what Mnuchin and, and Lighthizer want, but there's no guarantee that they will do that. And so um, I, I think, obviously, uh, the negotiations this week, Leah He, who's their negotiator, will be here next week. So I think these next two weeks, we'll know where we're headed. But I think the administration is prepared to continue on with tariffs. I don't necessarily think that's good for our economy long term. It's not good for my farmers. Ag economy is down about 13% over last year. So there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of stress out there because of the tariffs. So uh, we'll have to see. But I think uh, there's a narrow path to get this done. So um, just to expand a, a little bit, there's probably three elements to any agreement. Um, and I'm not going to call it a deal or a trade agreement, uh, you know, or, or whatever it is. It's going to be whatever. It's going to be a resolution. Okay. Call it, uh, call it a trade resolution. Um, uh, it'll, pro it'll probably include a purchases of things that weren't bought before because of the dispute, but now will be bought. So we'll be buying the backlog, essentially. Um, uh, some structural reform, some recognition of it, perhaps some actual structural reform, and then an enforcement mechanism, which is probably, as Darren noted, it's probably the toughest thing to try to design. Um, but I think that this week, uh, the, our folks will probably hear a couple things. One is, I'll just answer my question, but I prompted someone on, on the, foreign, the, the foreign investment law that, that they passed there, um, for the first time I've heard, the executive vice chair of the National People's Congress, for the, um, I heard him say for the first time for many Chinese 
uh, leader that they tied the passage of the foreign investment law as a structural reform that ought to be considered as uh, a good faith effort. The problem is you're going to hear from American Chamber of Commerce in China is that uh, when we write laws, the reason that we have 1,500-page laws and put a lot of detail in them, uh, the uh, National People's Congress writes kind of theme papers, and the and the and the uh, implementation is much more critical. It's much more detailed implementation. So the foreign investment law says we want to go this way, but implementation may take all year, and I don't think our negotiators are going to be wait around for the rest of the year to get this done. The flip side is on enforcement, and we heard this from uh, Li Jianxu, and I'm the biggest Chinese name dropper in the world. Uh, <laughs> Li Jianxu, but he's the chairman of the National People's Congress. He's number three on the standing committee. This guy's in the room on everything. And uh, and he, he said a lot of things, but one of the things he said was that enforcement's two-way. It's like, he didn't say it this way, but it's, he essentially is saying, you want to enforce something on us? Well, we want to enforce something on you. And I think that's you know, going to keep uh, our folks up all night and a couple nights uh, in Beijing over the next couple of days. Yeah. What was your impression of the state of the Chinese economy? And I guess the corollary to that is, who do you think needs to reach a deal more here, the US or the Chinese? Uh, I'll go, I guess we'll go um, switch off here. Um, <clears throat> My, uh, my impression of the, state of the Chinese economy is that it's uh, not as robust as they're predicting. They're predicting a, a band of growth, um, 6 to 6.5%. It'll probably be less than that. probably is less than that now. Um, and, uh, and the biggest driver of that isn't the tariff deal, the tariffs. It's, it's uh, local debt, uh, provincial debt. Uh, the central government doesn't have a lot of control, direct control over uh, provincial debt, and the provinces have uh, a desperate desire to create jobs, because that's what, that's what moves you ahead in the system there, um, differently than it does here, obviously, but it uh, moves you ahead in the, in the Communist Party system. And so they're not as likely to follow national or central government diktat when it comes to debt. Um, and that is that hangover on the provincial debt is a, a big problem for them. Um, now, add on to that, you know, the, the tariffs, it becomes more of a problem, but the big driver on the, on their, on the underlying problem in their economy is, a, is the mass uh, provincial debt. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, it's, you know, you're getting information from a communist country, right? And so to, to know what's real and what's not. And then, you know, when you add in the state-owned enterprises uh, and how much they're subsidized, you know, I think there's conflating of the numbers, which is, which is clear. But I do think the tariffs have gotten their attention. Uh, you know, arguably the stock market has slowed down a little bit, um, and and there are parts of the country where uh, you know it's the tariffs have affected them. So um, I don't think it's the driving force for bringing them to the table. But clearly they want to resolve this in some way uh, and get this behind them so they can move on. Um, so I think again, I think the tariffs have been used to bring them to the table in a way that's different in the past. And I think there's an argument that, you know, if you look at the last 25 years from, you know, the different administrations, everyone talked tough on China, but in the end, you couldn't get anything done enforcement-wise, and we're at that point now, and I think that's not lost on Lighthizer. He's a smart guy. He's been through these wars before that this is something we're going to change, you know, definitively moving forward. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah. 